Hey everyone, today I have Bruce Alderman here for some conversation. Bruce uh, is an affiliate faculty at John F. Kennedy University in the Consciousness and Transformative Studies and Holistic Counseling Psychology Departments. He's also co-host and founder of the Integral Stage podcast, the premier forum for in-depth conversations and explorations of integral theory and metamodern spirituality. Um, at least that's how I would characterize it. Good stuff happening over there. Really fascinating stuff. Um, and I mean, many other things could be said, but by way of introduction, I'll just throw those couple things out there. I, I discovered your stuff uh, through the integral stage and um, through all your work uh, in that context. Um, but since then have just been, you know, really super impressed and blown away by the depth and the, uh, the, the insight, the, uh, the, the, the breadth of all of your uh, various fields of interest and, and uh, exploration. And uh, yeah, that would be great to have some conversation. So thank you so much for, for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, I first encountering you online, I felt I was, you know, with a kindred spirit, I, I immediately resonated with what you were doing and your project and your way of presenting things and your kinds of inquiry. Um, so I'm really glad to have this conversation and to be circling more and more in your metamodern spirituality community, as well as doing my integral post metaphysical and other things. Yeah. So I was, that's a great kind of maybe way into some of this because um, I say a little bit about uh, your background with, with this whole space. I mean, some people are kind of calling it the meta space. There's sort of, you know, a recognized overlap between integral folks and meta modernists. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, you've got a, a very rich uh, background with all of this and have been doing some really, really in-depth work for a while. Um, and so talk a little bit about, about that background a little bit and, and how you would maybe sort of, uh, situate yourself in, in the metamodernism scene as all this stuff relates to itself. Sure. Uh, should I maybe do a little kind of, of the, the, the spiritual background that kind of led up to yeah, all Yeah. 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 By all means. Yeah. I think, uh, it probably, my, my spiritual search began in earnest in high school. Uh, I was raised in a nominally religious family. We went to church, but it was mostly because my dad liked the brass band that they had and he played the cornet. And so mm -hmm. it was a great place for him to, to practice his music more than there being a really deep interest in spirituality there. Um, but there were a number of crises and, and losses and things that happened in high school that propelled me to really reflect on, on life and purpose and, you know, just larger questions and, you know, feeling some aspects of my own identity getting cracked and, and, and shaken pretty significantly during that period. And uh, I probably, I, I had a propensity to sometimes, you know, shift into altered states and things. And I was a dreamy kind of creative writing and artistic person, you know, um, so that was always with me, but I, it didn't have a spiritual flavor to it in my mind at that time. Um, a friend of mine, uh, his mother sent me on a retreat. I've told this story elsewhere, so I won't dwell on it, but I was able to escape from the kind of oppressive atmosphere of the different things that had gone wrong in my town and spend time up in the California mountains and 
had something of a spiritual encounter up there with the, the mountain's presence. And at the time, with my background, I interpreted it as God and uh, different things happened. I, I decided to embrace Christianity in earnest at that point. And it sent me on a long search. But because of that experience, that was primarily a mystically oriented, experientially oriented Christianity. And it was really hard for me to find that in the communities where I was living, especially in, in Tomball, Texas, where <laughs> you just aren't going to find that, that kind mm -hmm. of thing there. And I did seek out um, different you know, teachers and priests and, and other individuals, but most of them kind of shooed me away from you know, looking too deeply at the, myst at the mystical aspects of religion. And uh, so it was not very satisfying and it became more inwardly focused on in terms of my own process. And I discovered, I think, Thomas Merton's work and uh, some and, other- And how old were you at this point? Probably 18, 17. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think at 17, I was reading Thomas Aquinas. And I remember writing in my journal that, mm -hmm. God, I'm going to turn my back on you in order to find you. Um, inspired by. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. yet. Long. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Okay. So that was my thought is that I wasn't finding God in a living form in any of the, the churches or teachers around me. So it pushed more in a contemplative direction. Um, but the deeper I went into that, especially with Thomas Merton's work and reading his, you know, Asian journals and, and, and some of his other essays on Suzuki and on um, Sufism and, and, and things like that, it really began to open me up towards spirituality in general. I'd been interested in creative writing and I used to investigate Norse mythology and things like that as just kind of a fun fantasy thing and had attempted to create my own worlds and religions and mythologies um, out of uh, interest in, in, you know, fantasy. And, you know, so that began to actually get more weight to it and to really think about, okay, there's something here and we're not being in my community, in my family, even though my, my parents were sensitive and, and good people and spiritual in some way, but I wasn't really being nourished in that environment. So um, it began to open out towards a broader interest in world religions, not just uh, you know, Christianity um, or, or Catholicism or, you know, more contemplatively, contemplatively oriented Episcopal. Uh, that, that was kind of my background. Uh, I think at some point I was applying to become a, a monk. Um, I inquired a couple places, but uh, it didn't really seem to, to fall into place for me. And I discovered Krishnamurti's work um, maybe in my early 20s and began to really dive into his work. Um, different things happened. Uh, my mother and I ended up, I had to drop out of school. We became essentially homeless. We went out to the Arizona wilderness and decided to begin again. Her, she lost her business, she lost her house. I had to drop out of college. Mm. And so we just took off to the wilderness and 
used it as a contemplative time. I brought Krishnamurti's books and other spiritual books. We lived in the forest and uh, I spent a lot of time up in the canyons and meditating and praying and playing music and reading spiritual texts. Um, eventually we had to look for work. We had to survive. Um, and yeah, so following that, uh, I think, yeah, I, I'm I'm in the danger of falling into like my whole life narrative. Well, no, so wait, let me, let me ask you a question. So at yeah. that period, what would you have sort of uh, identified as in terms of like, was there a, a, a hippie-ish like Dharma bums component? Was there a, just a spiritual seeker? Was there, would you have said that you're a Christian contemplative? How would you have like put that into a label or words of some kind? It was hard to, to name exactly. I was long haired. Uh, so people did identify me as hippie-ish, but I didn't use drugs or, you know, drink alcohol or anything like that. And so in that way, I was trying to be monk-like and live a, you know, a prayer-focused, a contemplation-focused life. Um, I think I had, uh, for a while, I had an, still an interest in being a Christian contemplative, and I considered myself that for a long time, though Krishnamurti was mm -hmm. working on me in a way subtly to find modes of inquiry that didn't need to plug into any particular lineage and still reach for spiritual depth. And so that was happening. I was in a rock band at the time, and they used to call me the monk in the rock band because <laughs> I wasn't drinking or using drugs. Um, it was a pretty, uh, everyone else in the band was pretty wild. Um, but yeah, out once I was, you know, in the wilderness, I think I had really begun to let go of, of a strong Christian identity and was just opening up into more explorations. Uh, I, I've recounted it in one of the videos on the integral stage, but there was a four night kind of initiatory period that happened to me while I was living out in the wilderness. It was like a progressive four night sequence of, of, all night visionary, um, lucid type experiences that were, you know, really, I imagine, you know, of the intensity of a, you know, a DMT trip or something like that, but it was just, uh, you know, spontaneously arising for me. And those were pretty powerful for me. And, and, you know, I think they let me know that, uh, you know, there was there was something else to do with my life. There was a you know kind of a message communicated with them that I've been really kind of wrestling with my whole life, um, and you know things settled into just regular routine of working. But I in that in that area of Arizona, but I maintained the contemplation. Um, I finally got a call to possibly go to Asia and work, and so I went up into the wilderness again and did a several day vision quest up there and uh, came away from that thinking, yes, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna go to Asia. And so I did it and I went over to Asia and I, I taught for a few years in Korea and studied sun Buddhism and music uh, while, while working and saved a lot of money and then used that to go over to Indonesia for a year and First, I was in Bali and studying mostly music and not doing much contemplation except on my own. But then I went to Java 
and I found an ashram there that they said ashram, but it was more Buddhist focused than Hindu focused. And they really uh, practiced a kind of Javanese uh, Theravada uh, mindfulness practice. So the arrangement there was you can live there for free if you agree to attend the Vipassana meditations and teachings every night. And so I did that. And they had a big spiritual library. And I studied music at a local college and attended the meditations every night. Um, and that was a wonderful year. And occasionally he would encourage me to go deeper. So sometimes I would go over to Malaysia, Penang Island for intensive 10-day or 30-day Vipassana retreats. Oh. And Mahasi Sayadaw tradition. And those were, again, rich, ripening kinds of experiences. Did, had you had any kind of experience up till then with uh, Buddhist meditation, or was that your introduction to it? I'd done a little experimentation with it in, uh, in Korea, but not intensively because I was pretty busy working. But I went to mm -hmm. some temples and got a little instruction, but it wasn't really a regular practice until I went to Java. And then it, it just really rooted into a regular practice. And, and one of the things I discovered was how armored my body was after the traumas I'd gone through. And then actually living in Korea, where I was basically a spectacle everywhere I went. Um, I was either treated as a celebrity or a pariah. Um, and there was no balance, typically, mm -hmm. of finding an atmosphere where I could be a, just a, a human being in, in most contexts. There were some, some good friends, but outside in public, it was one or the other. Uh, because my long hair, sometimes more than once, I was stopped on the beach and Koreans gathered around me and treated me like Jesus and sang hymns to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did you, did you have to resist the urge to start a Korean cult then, or uh, <laughs> did that not come up for you? Didn't come up for me. That's, that's probably good. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was funny, though. Uh, but it was part of the whole weird spectacle of not being a human, right? And so when I left there and I went to Indonesia, where it was much more relaxed in terms of how people regarded you, um, it was in partly a, a developing a contemplation practice and partly a healing practice. Um, I really found going through the full body, you know, mindfulness uh, practices where the energy wasn't flowing, where the armor was and, and a year long process of really working on that and thawing that. Um, and I was exposed at the time to Tantra, but it seemed too outlandish and complex to me. One of my the person who lived next to me in the ashram um, was had a you know had a, a an altar set up and did regular chants and, and pujas and things like that and it just seemed especially from Krishnamurti who's kind of like a a Protestant mystic you know where you know they want to strip he wants to strip down all the forms and just focus on the relationship to consciousness and mind you know and so it was hard for me to digest that but I felt a call to India. And um, eventually I did go there um, and got a job at a Krishnamurti school 
in India teaching creative writing. And I was able to live there for a year um, doing uh, basically meditation and dialogue every day. Um, again, they had a wonderful library and I taught a few classes. And how old were you were by about this point? I think I was my late 20s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was late 20s by that point. And uh, when I talked to you about um, just today about having that kind of decentered experience, it happened at the Christian Murdy Center for me. Mm. Uh, in a way, it was partly, I think, a fruit of all that Vipassana meditation. But then there was a different kind of, I think, it still was a kind of Vipassana practice in terms of just watching the movement of thought um, and and tuning into the awareness between thoughts. And that was the kind of the primary mode of inquiry at that time. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it took, you know, it opened up into multiple different kinds of experiences. There was a, a visionary experience at that time where I, uh, I dreamed that a, a Tibetan, I woke up in my, every, every now and then a, uh, Tibetan monk who actually was the one of the uh, I don't know his exact title but he was basically the leader the the uh, secular leader of Tibet in exile and he would come to the school every now and then and so I, I met him so I had a little bit of exposure to Tibetan teachings but not much but I had this kind of visionary dream experience of you know waking up and and there was a llama standing in the room and you know, it, it kind of, yeah, it was an intense experience that took me through a dying process in the dream and opened up into, you know, kind of a formless awareness and then eventual reconstitution of the body. And at that point, I felt something happened here. And I, I, I began to kind of dig more deeply into Tibetan tradition. And that eventually led me up to uh, Nepal where I met some uh, Bun and Buddhist Dzogchen teachers and started a relationship with them that then lasted, you know, many years. Eventually I left Asia and I came back to the United States and uh, lived for several years at a Tibetan Lama's house in Virginia and helped him open up a retreat center and run a, uh, a, a newsletter, a Buddhist or a Bun, and Buddhist newsletter, um, did a lot of intensive retreats with him. Um, so yeah, all of that, I think this is now I'm approaching with that background. Now I'm approaching why I'm in this kind of meta community situation, which is that all of that experience from multiple traditions, uh, made me hungry for a way to, integrate these different streams and to dialogue in some way with the communities that had shown no recognition or valuation of those things. I'd, I'd been also a, a student in a Christian college and always struggled there. I, I had beautiful devotional experiences there and terrible uh, contemplative or mystical ones. Nobody could get it, you know? So I had this desire to integrate religion and contemplative tradition and psychology and other modes 
Um, and so from Virginia, I, I sought out some kind of degree program that I could go to, and that eventually brought me out to California and to the school where I'm now teaching. And I, I was able to do a transpersonal psychology degree there. And uh, that was for me the closest thing that I could find without entering seminary, um, but to, to follow a more secular integrative path where I could yeah. draw on elements of the West and East mm-hmm. for, for more fully developing you know, myself and, and, and finding a voice for communicating in a complex, diverse, intersecting world. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. I, there's one, there's so many um, like points in your story that bring up a lot of uh, overlap for me, um, uh, which is interesting. And we can probably get in, into that maybe briefly, but because I, I come from a Christian background, um, but I relate a lot to what you're speaking to in terms of like starting from a particular space and then sort of uh, gaining a whole new um, sense of awareness of so many different traditions. And then how do you, what do you do with that? Um, which, so I'm, I'm really interested. I'm interested because so much of what has seemed to come in the latter part of that is, is uh, deep kind of rooting in these Eastern traditions mm-hmm. and having come from a Western tradition, how do you, I don't know, reflect on that a little bit. Like how, how have you kind of integrated that in terms of um, is there, you know, Joseph Campbell has this idea that there are these certain kinds of like, there's the transcendent thing, but then it gets locally realized in different religious uh, concepts. Um, And I suppose there are all sorts of ways that you can kind of conceptualize the differences, but also the sameness. Um, And uh, yeah. So how, how, how do you, how do you take the whole, span of your experience and find some, you know, coherent thread if, if, if there is one to be found. Right. I was inspired, of course, as I mentioned, by Thomas Merton and Bede Griffiths and a few other people who were attempting not only East-West dialogue, but in some ways uh, practicing across boundaries. And while remaining true to their traditions, Raimon Panikar and a number of folks, um, Abhishek Dananda, a number of folks who were doing this kind of thing. And so I was interested in that. And I found, again, I kind of rediscovered Wilbur's work. And that seemed to bring together a lot of threads for me. He provided a framework for me to begin to think about how, you know, along the spectrum of consciousness and and in other dimensions of of aqua, how the different traditions can be seen to be interrelated. And I think I've probably moved through several different orientations. Uh, Initially, I think I probably had what you'd call a perennialist point of view, which is the one that you mentioned, that basically there is this transcendent reality and everybody accesses it in their own way, but it's the same transcendent reality, and um, that each is valid. And I, you know, I, I felt like Vatican II and some things had taken at least some steps in, in that kind of recognition. I think they still tended towards a kind of inclusivism. Ultimately, Catholicism is the ultimate revelation, but others participate in that. And I think 
I maybe held a similar view. I was looking at, you know, some Buddhist or, or Wilbur's articulation as probably the peak of that and others as participating in it to various degrees. Uh, but there was something about it that, that I didn't feel quite comfortable with, you know, and that basically came out of genuine dialogue with others and, you know, others escaping any kind of categories that I would necessarily put them in as belonging to this stage or that stage or mm -hmm. um, the limitations, you know, so I didn't want to, you know, to me, it didn't make sense to just be a, a, a kind of a chaotic pluralism where there's no kind of grounding. So I began looking and trying to articulate, you know, what is an integrative pluralism uh, that, that both allows for that diversity and yet honors the overlap and the, the connections and the interrelationships and can allow for uh, cross-community fecundation and, you know, communion and practice. Um, so that's been an abiding interest. And I think the articulation of Wilbur back in 2006, 2007 of, of the outlines of the uh, integral post-metaphysical spirituality is kind of what really captured me as a promising path forward. Yeah. And I wasn't certain how I felt about all of his formulations, but I felt there was something there. So yeah. it opened up a many year inquiry for me. I want to talk about post metaphysical spirituality in a second, but first, a lot of the stuff you're talking about raises some questions that I, I feel like it'd be interesting to explore because so one of the, the feelings that I've gotten having been raised in kind of a Western Christian tradition in discovering a lot of these Eastern traditions is that there's a very different emphasis. Um, if you can even call it an emphasis, uh, on a state training, state exploration, um, meditation, things like that, the going inward. Um, and while, of course, in the Western tradition, you have a very rich and robust tradition of Christian mystics and contemplatives doing similar sorts of, uh, of, of inner state exploration and cultivation, um, it's never really been kind of front and center. And that's what I mean by emphasis. And so it's very easy to go your whole life in a Christian context and never have like sat for 20 minutes and just examined your own mind working. Um, and so that to me is a really interesting kind of, uh, I don't know, it's sort of, it seems like for me, a huge blind spot. And one of the things that Wilbur in, in his articulation of this integral, integrated uh, framework, I mean, states are deeply important. And as I've been going, you know, deeper and deeper into Wilbur and thinking more about that, I've just realized how much of that was lacking from the tradition that I came from. And I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that in terms of uh, trying to do some kind of integrative East-Western, you know, dialogue conversation when in one tradition, you know, that component seems to be a lot less, uh, you know, on the front burner. It's a challenge. And especially where I grew up, and also the, the college that I went to, the idea that you would sit for a while and empty yourself is just an invitation for demons to enter, <laughs> right? So 
there's a, a pretty big hurdle there to uh, even beginning a dialogue. And one of the things that I did, and, and not always in an exemplary fashion, is after I got back from Asia, uh, I trolled Christian forums quite a lot. <laughs> um, I used to dig and poke at different theological holes or gaps or things like that, or try to invert values, you know, asking people, let's pray for the, the devil, um, things like that, just mm -hmm, to see mm -hmm. what would happen. Uh -huh. And, um, but I, I also, I also went through uh, a kind of a, a self-searching and a, a I, I don't know what I would say, except the self-recrimination around some of the antagonistic and belittling way I was relating back mm -hmm. to Christianity mm -hmm. and recognize that that wasn't healthy, you know, that I felt wounded by aspects of it and, and disappointed in what seemed like big gaping holes <laughs> in aspects mm -hmm. of it. And I was taking it out um, sometimes in a trolling way on different you know, forums and in groups. And I really recognized that that wasn't healthy. Um, and I made a practice of listening every day to fundamentalist radio for about two hours on my commute. And to just take it in until I wasn't reacting anymore, I turned it into mm. a kind of Vipassana practice. But <laughs> for me, it was also a heart practice mm. of being able to receive where they were coming from, and get beyond my triggers. And by the end of that, it, I, I did it for several years. By the end of it, I think I did come to a good place where I didn't agree theologically with the majority of where they stood, but I got to a place where I could feel their hearts. And um, I, could, I could see the values that they were invested in and reaching for in the shapes that they were doing that. And um, I think that was a helpful thing for me to get out of that kind of mm -hmm. polarized reactive way of uh, relating back to my home tradition. Mm -hmm. And that then made the way for me, uh, it made it more possible to begin to think about dialogue and integration and things like mm -hmm. that. That's really interesting. I, I, I still, uh, I have to admit, I still get very triggered <laughs> by, by certain things. Um, just actually, I don't know, maybe two hours ago, I watched the trailer. There's a new video uh, film coming out called God's Not Dead, We the People. And it's sort of this Hollywood-esque version of like all the fundamentalist Christian grievances around feeling oppressed and the government's going to make their kids not believe in. Th and it's like, but it's all slick in, in Hollywood, like you know, trailer format. And it was just like, oh, gag, this is so hard. And I I want to, there's, there's some way that I want to kind of exercise that somehow. Um, and actually, you know, it, it, this is interesting too, because um, I, I, on the path to kind of doing that sort of work, I, I find that, um, let me see if I can express this, because this is, uh, this is, uh, there, there needs to be a little nuance here, I think. And so let me try to see if I can articulate this, but you know, one of the, a big element of the Wilbur framework and the integral framework, and and also now uh, kind of a, a meta modern 
framework um, is a big component of that is stage recognition of, of developmental awareness and and recognizing how people are are sort of engaging the world from a different set of lenses related to what stage what stage they're at isn't a good way of putting that but just that there are these different um very um different angles to to look at the world and um and that's been helpful as a framework to be able to situate some of this, right? Because then it's not just this purely kind of antagonistic, you have one worldview and I have another and they're sort of, you know, one's got to win or something, but it allows a, a kind of vantage of setting these things in sort of a, a broader yeah, framework or a map that, that can hopefully work towards a greater appreciation of what all of these uh, perspectives have to offer. But I have to say, for me, I'm still working very much um, on the work of trying to see how some of these perspectives are value providing, are, are, are significant and, and, and meaningful, and not something to just shut down, right? And so how would you address that? I mean, when you turn on the, the evangelical radio and you hear the kinds of stuff that you're talking about that you might not agree with, Yes, you can you can eventually get to a point where you're not necessarily triggered in an emotional, you know, resentful way. But also, what do you do with everything sort of in between where you're, you know, I mean, yeah. How, how, how do you find a good piece with with uh, all that stuff that's out there um, in a way that doesn't either grind on you or that that um, you don't also just want to affirm and just say, oh, well, you know all's one sort of how does how do you how do you do that it's not easy yeah you know there's a good deal that i think is going on in the blending of nationalism and and theism um, and conspiracy that to me looks pretty toxic for building uh, a healthy culture and i i think i i know people who are you know, refugees from, from those environments and, and they've been wounded by that experience. So definitely I don't want to give a wholesale green blanket yes to what's going on. I think there are pathologies if you want to use that kind of language, but I think there are, there are, there are values that are recognizable, um, but the way that they're finding, you know, recognizable and I think valid but that the way that they're finding expression or the narrow um, limits around, you know, around that expression is, is causing harm. And I think, you know, one of the things to do is, I think to begin to articulate alternatives in a way and in a language that can mm -hmm. reach yeah. same communities um, without, you know, without necessarily having to take them on always directly and, and strengthen them. But in the, you know, the Buckminster Fuller idea of providing <laughs> a better alternative, right? Something that can speak to people and nourish them and that, that can still allow them to feel good in their own identities. And uh, so I think in our communities, we need to, to get better at that in terms of, you know, yeah. if we want to be um, 
mesh workers, you know, using a spiral dynamics word, if we want to be mesh workers in the culture, you know, we've got to find ways to intersect with and navigate and, and, and communicate with these different communities. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I think, speak in a way that can address some of the core concerns and provide other ways forward. And I've definitely, you know, in my teaching, I've encountered that in another area, which is more of people who are deeply into green and privately struggling with some incoherences or some uh, moral inconsistencies and other things that they're experiencing within that context, but don't have a way out. Um, so I, I've learned in, in, in my university, often I can't present Wilbur and Integral straight up without it being rejected by mm-hmm. certain segments of, of uh, you know, our school population as just white cisgender privileged, you know, mm-hmm. male, uh, same old, same old. <laughs> Right. Um, right. So, yeah, it, it's been a, a dance of, of really trying to feel into what are the core concerns and what are the core issues yeah. at the heart of, of, of their own green activist work. I've been really interested in this issue a lot. And I've been I mean, literally every it's the first it's the first thing I think about when I wake up and it's the last thing I go to bed thinking about. Um of how to um, sort of articulate ideas in ways that can be uh, sort of, uh, you know, engaged with optimally, most effectively from different people from these different perspectives. Um, because, yeah, it, you know, it's not all one. You can't just write, let's say, a book and think that it's going to, you know, just land with, with every audience, right? Like there's a real difference between, and I, I, I go back to myself, say when I was 15 and I think, okay, enter, you know, evangelical worldview mode and like, think about what I would feel if I now was saying the things that I was saying. And I know that if I say them in a certain way, they're not going to, they just won't it'll just clash, right? There's a, there are certain barriers, certain. And so, um, you know, having that recognition that, and, and similarly, I mean, I could go to through different stages of, you know, me when I was, you know, hyper um, sort of reductive and empirical and kind of in that more orange mode. Right. And then anything having to do with spirituality or spirit would have been anathema. So uh you know, there's enough of those experiences that I can draw from to be like, okay, what would the different me's need to hear in those different moments to be, to be drawn into a real rich conversation that could start to genuinely expand, you know, some, some awareness in the ways that, uh, that from my vantage now, I feel like that's what the me at that point might, might've benefited from. And to do that requires, of course, you know, putting these ideas into a framework or into language, into forms that are most easily digestible to folks wherever they're at. But, but so much of that seems to be missing, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing folks work very 
intentionally in the, and when I say folks, I mean, well, if no one's else, if, if there's not a lot of people doing it, then this is something that I very much want to do, but I, I don't know the best way to do it. Um, right. So like, is what if, let me throw this by you. I mean, like, let's say you take some of the, the basic integral framework, uh, and you were to sort of present it, um, you know, maybe, maybe here it's presented in full, you know, modernist, empirical rationalist, you know, data backed footnoted, you know, studies. Um, but maybe here it's represented more mythologically and it's sort of given, you know, uh, articulation that way and sort of allow people to find it at the different, uh, you know, um, in the different forms that it, that it might kind of take hold. Um, I guess to turn that into a question, one, are you aware of any one or any set of literature or any set of anything that sort of is attempting to do that? Um, and two, I mean, what are your thoughts on what would be the, the best way to go about doing that? Um, and I'll take notes. <laughs> well, there's a really innovative young man who writes under many pseudonyms and co contemplated writing under the name of Hanzi. Um, but hasn't done it yet. <laughs> so no, I think you are making good efforts in that direction. Um, yeah, so. Well, thanks. I, I but but yeah. I mean, like, you know, like, what, what would you say? I guess my question is like, what needs, what would you say needs to be done? What's missing from that project, right? Um, what is, I think, because I think we have a shared sense of like, okay, this is the project. But so then how would you, how would you go about it? Or what do you feel like is most in need in that space? One of the things that I think people are hungry for is, you know, a sense of uh, meaningful togetherness and practice, communal participatory um, spaces. Mm -hmm. I, I remember for me, what got me to go to the Christian college, even though I was in my mystical mindset, when I went to the introduction uh, to the university, we sat in a large stadium. And at some point, they turned out all of the lights, everybody held hands and sang soaring four-part harmony mm. devotional songs. Mm -hmm. And I was bawling my eyes out. Yeah. Even though I didn't fully accept, you know, the package that was mm -hmm. behind that, the spirit of that touched me so much. And I think, you know, for me being a, a person who's mostly focused on, on writing and the word, um, I've overlooked many times the, the, the power and the value of having those kinds of spaces where there's real human yeah. you know encounter yeah. and and shared uh communing around a set of, of of values and insights that in a way i think almost the theological package behind it is secondary yeah no it's so interesting because that's both the 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 wonder and the brilliance and the the genius of that it's also can be the dark side, right? That's how some people can wind up in cults, right? They're like, right. and, right. but um, no, what you're talking about so resonates when I landed ultimately at Yale Divinity School. Um, I was just really, 
there would be uh, chapel gatherings where, you know, I'd come in, I'd sit in a pew and I'd be like, ah, chapel, you know, I'd have all my kind of negative baggage that I was bringing. And then, and then, yeah, there'd be a beautiful choir and then, you know, like Christian Wyman would give, get up and, and, and read some beautiful thing he'd written. And then we'd sing again. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. I can't not just fall into this. Um, and, and so two things about that come up for me. One, one is that when you were talking to about how, like, you know, the sort of the best thing that you could find uh, for the kind of integrating uh, uh, paradigm, uh, you know, as like a program that you could do was this, um, what was it, integral transpersonal psychology? What, what was your, your master's? Um... Yeah, it started out as transpersonal counseling psychology. Mm-hmm. And towards the end of my, you know, career there at the school career they developed an integral psychology program so i stayed for an extra year oh nice got some courses in that as well but i guess my point being that um it's it's very rare and i i experienced this a lot because um before i found the integral community it was very hard to find people who could talk about spirituality un un i don't want to say unmoored or unrooted but not sort of um uh, so parochially attached to the specific images and symbols of its tradition. Right. And so like Yale divinity school is a beautiful place where that sort of, you know, Christian activity can happen, but it was precisely because of, of that very specific imagery and a kind of lack of engagement with all the other traditions imagery. It, it felt, it felt limited to me, even as it's really spoke to me. And that as I've explored so many other areas, it's like, well, you might have, you know, basically your options are these divinity schools, which are some distinct form of Christianity, or there's, you know, religious studies programs, which more or less tend to just be anthropology and aren't really particularly interested in spirituality at all. Um, Or again, then there's a tradition specific Buddhist or Hindu or what have you. And, and, and yes, there's a smattering of ecumenical and interfaith dialogue things going on. But I guess my point is one that just that that kind of in-person community rooted um, sort of infrastructure for a uh, trans tradition, you know, inter interfaith and sort of trans faith uh, spirituality doesn't it's very hard to find if it exists at all. And so one, I feel like that's challenge one. Two is, as I found elements of this community, it's such a diaspora. We're so separated. You know, you're out in California. Most other people, you know, in these communities, half of them are in Europe, right? You know, and, and, and and people in Colorado, and we're just all sort of scattered. And so the idea of doing some kind of in-person engagement seems really hard as, as, as diligently as I'm trying to work to organize and facilitate those sorts of things, you know, having a space now. So I guess, again, to kind of put that into a question, what do we do about that? How do we, how do we create that sort of uh, container that you're talking about that isn't just theologically narrative driven, you know, but is actually participatory and uh, in-person and energetic connecting um, when we're so disconnected and when those infrastructures aren't in place? That's a great question. And there are a couple things 
I could say about it, but uh, maybe the main thing is a project that I started about 10 years ago uh, with another, actually with a student of mine. And now it's languishing. We're not doing much on it, especially because we're working on the integral stage, but it's something that eventually I, I invited Lehman into and it's called the Foundation for Integral Religion and Spirituality. But here's what we developed. And actually we did it in conjunction with Ken Wilbur um, and some other people. The basic idea was to create a coordination program where anyone interested from any faith background could attend a central program where they would learn basically integrative vision logic, spiral dynamics, and other kinds of frames um, that could be applied and unpacked in different ways for their spiritual tradition. And mm -hmm. we partnered with an interfaith ordination board in New York and got the agreement with them that basically through the, their umbrella organization, um, we would be able to confer a, you know, an integral spirituality ordination. Oh, we, cool. weren't, we weren't aiming only at um, people who, we, we wanted to aim first at people who were already ordained um, so that this could be a co-ordination. Yeah. But the ultimate or the longer term thing was to make it into something that it could stand alone. Um, you know, as a, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we have like a, a program in Berkeley, California, where you can become an interfaith minister. And there's another program like that in New York that I know of, and there's several around. Um, but we really felt like the impact would be stronger if you're not just creating kind of another set aside, you know, a set apart tribalized group of now right. there's integral Right. People, you know, it's a it's better to have that way of looking, that sensibility take root and flower uniquely within different traditions. And so that was the vision. We were cooperating with one university, um, developed a full curriculum, wow. um, which, again, Ken Wilbur reviewed and approved. I'd love to see this. This is fascinating, um, especially the curriculum. Like, I'd love to know what that looks like. Okay. Yeah, the, the long-term vision um, that we were holding at that point, we, I, I was meeting with a um, number of people, Dustin DePerna and, and other people, you know, kind of planning this out at, at the time. Um, long-term vision for that was we envisioned a, a multi-faith uh, seminary that it would be a, you know, a campus where people could specialize in one direction or another, but it would be an interdisciplinary thing where there would be steady generative encounters among different faith communities um, using some things like uh, the deep dialogue process and, and uh, some, other, some other tools that are already out there that could be used to both help people develop robustly within their own traditions if they wanted to, but uh, begin part of this interspiritual movement that, you know, um, Teasdale or, or Johnson and Ord or other people 
are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that was the long-term thing. We have a website that is not published. We've got some stuff that we've been collecting there. And um, Layman and I eventually want to begin rolling with it again, but we're kind of focusing on the stage for right now. Yeah. But um, well, I'd love yeah. to be a part of that. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I, the word for me is infrastructure. There's not a, maybe that's not the best word, but there, there needs to be containers and frameworks and, and institutional um, contexts in which these things can move from the realm of people individually becoming aware of these ideas and trying to implement them in their lives to, you know, shaping this. And so I'm just, all this is sort of percolating as I'm hearing all this, because, you know, I think one of the things that, that the Hanzi books have done and the metamodern kind of turn has done with some of the integral stuff is really try to apply it really intentionally to political action, political activism, really changing institutions. And it strikes me that a similar move could be done uh, targeting institutional change from the spiritual angle that, that, and I think in many ways, a lot of that probably was what the, uh, what the various integral institutions and foundations and frameworks were kind of getting at. Um, And so I'm sure there's a whole conversation to be had there about like, well, you know, what's sort of the current update on the status of all that work and, and, and all that. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by all this because I feel like that's, it's very needed. And, um, uh, it could it could really seem to be potentially yeah uh like it could do a lot of a lot of the the good stuff that needs to happen uh for lack of a better way of putting that um anyway yeah i don't know if you have more to say about that topic otherwise we can um yeah i'd i'd like your thoughts on that and and that was something that we kind of wrestled with a little bit in in putting it together in that we didn't want to create something that became just another Unitarian Universalist watered down right. kind of thing. Not to knock Unitarian Universalists too much. They do some beautiful work and there's some wonderful communities. Mm-hmm. But I think anyone who's gone very deep in any particular tradition can mm-hmm. feel how mostly the surface of those things gets presented in those contexts without a lot of you know deep rooting. Yep. Um, and so we really wanted to find a way that uh, you could do that, you know, what I was calling it at the time was translineage, where it didn't aim too easily at a single unifying synthesis that then was going to be the new norm, but was a practice. It was more of a praxis of going deep and working between at the same time, um, for whatever, wherever your orientation happened to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Raimon Panikar with his notions of topological transformation and homeomorphic equivalence and dialogical dialogue. And he's got a whole lot of uh, concepts that are, I think, you know, provide some useful conceptual architecture um, for some of that work. But, you know, and, and then of course, integral theory and metamodernism and others also. I think have tools, but what do you think about that in terms of the the dance between doing something that's deliberately interspiritual, intertraditional, translineage that doesn't 
or unless you think it's a good idea, reduced to a single new articulated creed? Yeah, well, that's a great question, but it's it's the it's it's a very hard thing. So there, I think there are pitfalls in different ways this could be done. I think that the biggest pitfall of sort of ecumenical and interfaith dialogue has tended to be, all right, we want to really appreciate that there are these very real differences and we don't want to just, you know, kind of, well, let me, let me, let me rephrase this. Actually, there, there, there are even two pitfalls within the ecumenical interfaith dialogue. One of them is there are these very real differences Actually, I should step back because historically how this has tended to go is it's been a universalizing tendency to say, oh, okay, well, let's, we'll ignore some of these hyper-specific things and we'll just focus on what we all have in common. And then that's a pitfall. And that's sort of more the modernist kind of approach to doing that sort of work. And then there was sort of a postmodern reaction to that and saying, all right, let's know, let's really own our particularity. Let's own our specifics in our traditions and not lose any of that. But then the challenge, of course, is how do you, you know, what does a evangelical Christian, you know, Baptist in Tennessee, how can they dialogue with a, a, a you know, a, a Tibetan monk, you know, doing extended meditation, right? Like what, what's going on there that they can share if it's, you know what I mean? And so then, then you start focusing so much on the differences that the overlap gets lost. So those are two pitfalls, I think, in some of those, you know, more familiar ways of going about these things. What I like about, um, I'm calling it tentatively sort of meta-religion, which is a kind of abstraction of deep structures and processes that you can recognize different traditions working within or at these different levels, and then be able to say, oh, you know, there's a structural similarity between, um, you know, what, say, that evangelical Christian is doing in Tennessee to what that Tibetan monk is doing if they're both thinking more or less mythologically about their experiences and about the narratives of their faith. And then you can start to see, um, by the way, I'm also not sure if I'm just kind of reinventing the wheel of structuralism here. So I'll probably have to really reassess some of these things as I become more familiar with not just structuralism, but also post-structuralism. But my sense is that, okay, yeah, we can find some real commonalities here uh, not rooted in content. So the content then is not the specific part. It's not, oh, we all need to agree that Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, you know, and that that's a dogmatic point of that's a deep part of the the narrative of my faith and that we agree on this. It's more like, oh, the fact that there is a thing that we need to agree on that's rooted in a narrative is what unites, right, you know, to maybe this other person who Jesus Christ doesn't factor into that, but it's also similarly narrative based and, you know, dogmatic and whatnot. And so I guess the point is that the pro there, the benefit of doing it that way is that we can really start to see some real uh, similarities, even where the content isn't uh, the, the main factor. The downside to that is, I think what you're saying, which is that then we just have a new narrative right? Then we have the narrative of spiral dynamics or, you know, integral theory or something, or, you know, the altitudes or whatever. And then it's sort of like, is that, you know, isn't that a problem in some ways, or in what way will that become parochialized, right? And this is sort of the knife's edge of what I'm trying to figure out right now and need a lot of guidance on, because generally speaking, I think that is the best approach. 
mindful of the pitfalls, but I feel like if we were to do something there and then take that narrative and then communicate it to people in the different, from the different perspectives that they're coming from, um, maybe even targeting them even specifically uh, tradition-based or lineage-based, right? So like, you know, having having materials that speak to a, you know, blue Christian or a, you know, blue Buddhist or something like that. And this is where this kind of project could begin to take shape of doing a meta-religious engagement and finding modes of commonality um, more in the structures of thought than in the content. And, you know, anyway, I could go on and on, but that's sort of like, that's what I'm really intrigued by. Um, And again, could be, no, that's not the greatest way. It could be uh, what's really needed is sort of a mixed bag approach and maybe all of these things are going to work in different ways. Um, but yeah, that would be my sort of two cent or five cent answer to that question. <laughs> great. Great. Yeah. I, I think along similar lines and I don't know how familiar you are with um, Raimon Panikar, but that's partly what he means with his notion of homeomorphic equivalence mm. is that you don't, start from the assumption of identity between God, Allah, and Brahman, you know, that's a too easy (laughs) perennialist move is to just identify those things. And you don't also have to necessarily presuppose an underlying structure that runs universally through all of them. Instead, you can look at the ecology of the meaning space and identify what forms serve similar functions in those meaning spaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without collapsing them at the level of content or or idea but you learn you look at uh basically what are the yeah home, same form homeomorphic what, yeah what are, yeah so you identify those and those become points of contact and 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 possibility for communication while not collapsing the the thou the otherness of the thou um into your own language set now this could be where you know either in digging this like people are like oh yeah this is so good or people are like what the heck are they talking about this is you know too far into the weeds but i'm just going to go there and um you know so what i'm curious about is what okay let's say you were to generate uh, let's just call it materials because what forms work for different, you know, levels or, or perspectives, whatever you want to call it, these distinct structures or what, what was the Panikar phrase? Homeo, homeomorphic, homeomorphic equivalents at those sorts of levels. Right. Um, you, here's the challenge for me would be, let's say you created just to use blue, that spiral dynamic sort of, you know, framework for an example, um, you know, it's, it's mythological mythic membership, that sort of thing, let's just say. Um, and let's say then that you kind of wrote a kind of mythical text, right? Obviously this is where a lot of my thoughts have been lately, but I'm starting to kind of bump up against some of the limitations of it because it's like, let's say you, let's say you just make a new religious mythic text that speaks to that homeomorphic, you know, uh, structure field. Um, the problem is, right, that the people aren't going to, the people you'd be trying to speak to with that aren't going to be interested because 
they'll just view it as like another alien religion versus what they've already been working with. Right. Right. So if you're a Christian evangelical fundamentalist of some stripe and you're blue and, and you're just sort of presented with this, maybe like more integrative narrative in blue clothing, you're going to just because it's blue doesn't mean you're just going to gobble it up. You, you might push it away very vehemently because it's that. Right. So what this reveals to me is that this is the, one of the most important things about working within the specific traditions that exist, rather than maybe trying to focus on this new narrative in its different articulations. It would be more like, um, no, like the people who are doing the blue thing, they are Christian or Hindu or Buddhist. They're already, you know, they're in a tradition. And so um, what's more needed is then some way, I guess that's the question is like, how do those things then um, uh, across that um, that structure? How does how does coherence come about? Um, that isn't just sort of let's all jump off of our current blue narrative and switch to this other one that we can all share, right? Because that's not going to happen, and probably isn't ideal, right? I mean, it's losing all that particularity and that heritage and all that. So that's that's kind of one of my hang-ups with with some of this is and i don't know if you have any thoughts about that issue yeah it's really hard and i have to admit that you know one of the the ways that i've thought about it I, i'm afraid of it sounding elitist and i don't mean it that way but it seems that's that's part of what we were aiming at with the foundation for integral religion and spirituality we just called it FERS, so I, I'll, I'll abbreviate it from now on um, kind of a two-pronged thing. One, taking a cue from Roy Boscar, where philosophy serves as an underlaborer to science. Um, there's a potential for integrative or metamodern theory to serve as an underlaborer for theology, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's not to establish an, a master over narrative, but to work in ways and be in communication in ways that you can both uh, provide, you know, support and insight, you know, for different communities and also perform imminent critique um, within different communities. And uh, because one person or a group of people probably can't do that across all of those boundaries, you're not going to have enough of a grasp of the richness, that was the idea really behind making a, you know, a multiple faith coordination um, effort is that to present the tools, you know, in this as, as tools for underlaboring and allowing basically then the work to happen uniquely within the traditions by those people who, who adopt that. So it's mm. definitely not going to be everybody who gets the idea of homeomorphic equivalence, but you don't need everybody to get it. You just need some people mm -hmm. <laughs> within a tradition mm -hmm. to get that. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure if this is a good example or not, but on the Christian you know, forums where I used to play a, a trolling and gadfly role for mm -hmm. a number of years, there was a minister there that I regularly engaged with, and he was a thoughtful and broadly read individual and already had done, you know, um, reading in multiple traditions. So he wasn't just a closed, but 
in some ways he was very strongly, you know, um, absolutist about what is actually the true path. And, uh, and, you know, really, I think, was a worthy opponent for me to the, you know, because he was very brilliant and very polite um, and very, very committed to an absolutist narrative, even though he was broadly read. And mm. just through the dialogue with him over the years, I would say nothing special that I did necessarily, except just holding open the dialogue, right? And, and continuing to come back and meet him that um, more and more, even though he's remained within his tradition to the degree that he can, an integrative metamodern way of viewing his texts and his communities began to grow. Mm. And he had to find, and he actually had ended up having some really powerful mystical experiences, which had never happened mm. in his life before. Mm. Um, and so really a ripening happened over about eight years Right. And it wasn't an easy process. It was more like intensive, mm -hmm. you know, uh, dialogical encounter. Mm. Um, but to me, it, it, it gave me some hope that yeah. you know, he didn't lose his rooting in his tradition, but he saw something that, you know, really made him want to reach for, for those tools and um, to help people, especially look past the boundaries in any way that those boundaries were creating moral or ethical problems mm -hmm. or being contributing members in a global community. Yeah. It's interesting to me. It's how, like why some people over the years might start from, you know, an absolutistic and maybe more narrow view and yet continue to come back for dialogue and discussion and, might end up in a in a in a different place because of it and why some people don't like why some people are just closed from the beginning um that to me is a really crucial nut to crack right is that a temperament thing is it a uh is it is it to what degree is it related to those uh homeomorphic equivalent structures and to what degree is it separate from them right i mean because you could say oh well you know, uh, a blue, you know, kind of uh, perspective is going to be very eth ethnocentric and limited, right? But like, but you can develop from blue and, and, and people do, right? And so mm -hmm. like, what, what are the causes or the, the factors, the variables that, that lead to people getting um, to, to not allowing that to, to unfold for me is like um, a crucial element um, or just a, a big open question, I guess. Um, but uh, anyway, th these sorts of conversations are for me the most fascinating thing. And like, I'm really interested in, in having more of them. I'm, I feel like I'm coming into a space where some of these conversations must have been going on in, in some degree of intensity, probably for years, if not decades at this point. And I'm sort of like, oh, cool, this is great. Um, and so there's a point at which one, I don't know how far along certain of these threads or strands in this conversation are, have already been, it's sort of like, you know, is it like, you know, oh yeah, we've, we've, we've dealt with all that. Like, you know, see our thread or forum from, you know, 2006 or whatever, 
or to what degree like this is still this is this is the live you know open open and actually there'd be no one better to ask than 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 you <laughs> i mean where, where do you feel like these conversations currently kind of stand um if that if that question makes sense it does um i've i've felt in watching you and watching what you're doing and watching the uh, the meta modern spirituality forum I felt I'm in a in a way watching myself um, do exactly the same thing, um, you know, about a decade or 15 mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in a way that says that you're retreading old ground, mm -hmm. because the kind of questions that I think you're wrestling with and that I was wrestling with are not easily resolved questions that we just oh we 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 summed it up and fixed it, you know, 15 years ago. Right. Um, but they're, they're, to me, it's, it's in a way validating to see you wrestling with the same questions that we were wrestling with, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago, whatever, in that, in that forum. Mm. Um, because we, we did talk about a lot of the things and uh, a lot of the things that you're opening up in your, your group from your own lens and with your own background. And I think zeroing in on exactly the same key points that we really felt were essential for, for moving forward. Um, and no way would I say that, you know, we, in our own, my own personal group, that we arrived at anything that was, you know, was a final answer or anything definitive, but right. definitely we followed some tracks pretty deeply and got to know about a number of, you know, efforts and communities that I think are, are worth staying in touch with mm. in, in terms of social experiments. Um, I, you know, I don't know if you know about like faith house Manhattan with no. um, Samir Salmanovic. And uh, he basically has a, a, a church that's a multi-faith church, but it's not a Unitarian Universalist or anything like that. Um, it's open to atheists. It's open to witches. It's, um, but he started out as a Muslim converted to something like Jehovah's Witness and gradually um, developed into, you know, uh, a perspective that embraced Christianity, Judaism, and, and pagan religions and mm. atheism, humanism. Um, and so what he's doing in Faith House Manhattan is basically bringing people from multiple faith traditions together to work collaboratively on solving social issues. And mm -hmm. so they're doing activist work, they're doing charity work, they're doing all kinds of things. And, you know, I think it's pretty beautiful. And mostly, they're speaking in a language that appeals, um, you know, I think to to modern and more to modern and to green than mm -hmm. to traditional. Mm -hmm. um, but they welcome in everybody. And, uh, you know, there's, yeah, some beautiful stories about what he's done. Then there's a, you know, the the deep dialogue work of Ashok Gangadeen. And there's another um, deep dialogue organization where uh, they have various projects where they bring faith communities into contact with each other and facilitate different encounters. So a few years back, they brought some traditional Arab scholars and had them live in a traditional Mennonite society in the U.S., and they were both 
deeply, you know, religious and scholastically informed people, but they were mostly Amber. Um, mm -hmm. And they viewed each other pretty much as enemies. And they engaged in this, you know, several week long depth process of sharing and, 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 and walking through tensions and learning dialogical practices. And it was a really beautiful outcome. Uh, you know, the, the, the Arab practitioner said, we never thought among Christians, we would find people of such spirit and such mm -hmm. heart. Mm. We'll come back. We will mm. come back to this. Yeah. So I think those kinds of real world encounters that, you know, if you talk to the people who are coordinating them, they hold pretty broad translineage perspectives, but they don't put those frameworks on the people they're working with. Yeah. They yeah. just create the containers. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's been so cool to have more seasoned uh, participants in these deep conversations like yourself and Lehman uh, and, and others is, is uh, um, to, to get some of the recommendations for these books, you know, and these authors like Panikar and Bhaskar, I have not yet even read them yet. Right. So like, I'm sure that, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm encountering some of this new material, I'll be like, oh, I have a great idea for a book and I'll start to plan it. And then I'll be like, oh, wait, okay. That book was already written and now I can read that. And so uh, that's been both deeply enjoyable and deeply frustrating. Um, but no, but mostly enjoyable because really where I want to be is, okay, yeah, I want to digest all this and then be like, what more really is needed? And when, I mean, it, it, the way that I look at it sort of is like, yes, none of this is, has, you know, even if, if you've been exploring or, or, or helping to resolve some of these really profound, important issues, you know, for the past 20 years, it's not really final until the world is transformed, you know? So like, we'll know that that's happened when you look out and, and there really is this kind of deep, uh, you know, integration and harmony out there. And so I kind of want to find where, where that bleeding edge is to then say, all right, where do we take it now from here so that that's the work ahead? And I feel I find so many, you know, um, so many people are engaging in this sort of a project um, in different ways, whether it is this integral or the inter interfaith, you know, translineage stuff that you're talking about to John Verveke's religion that's not a religion to Jamie Wheel to there's sort of this attempt of like, all right, we know what the problems are we know how urgently we need to seek resolution and seek a, a solution that will, that will help heal these problems. And we recognize how important a spiritual component is at the root of all this. Um, and to some degree, let's do some kind of a, a, a back engineering or reverse engineering project to like come up with something that can bring all this together. Um, and it's sort of like, that's where it's at, but it's sort of like, all right, let's yes that's that's an articulation of the project but where does all that land how, how does all that shake out and so i'm really interested in the whole thing and uh uh i'm for the first time really again over the past maybe just a couple of years feel like i'm finally finding those people asking those questions because i don't know not maybe three or four years ago i would start to come out and i'd ask people about these sorts of things or say what i was doing and everyone was like oh brennan you're starting a cult like what what do you <laughs> you know oh you're trying to start a new religion you're trying to what like you know and there, but but 
yeah, now I'm finding that no, there there really is a deep understanding of 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 what this sort of thing is about, and that's both just really encouraging, but also really exciting because you know I feel like this is the good stuff. Uh, Bruce, this has been great. I thank you so much again. Your work is, um, you know, there's there's uh, uh, I don't know how to put it in a way that will best communicate what I'm trying to say. It's something like um, there's a there are like elders, you know, in the best sense of, of people who have a deep sense of wisdom, uh, age, not necessarily a, 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 you know, crucial component of that, but just uh, repositories of great experience and great wisdom. And the work that you're doing and that layman's doing and that a bunch of other people are doing in these spaces is like, um, there are just certain folks and I'm like, ah, that's, it's, uh, it's very enriching and it's very um, always illuminating. So, Thank you very much for the stuff that you're putting out and uh, greatly appreciate it and greatly appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to get into it. And, and we'll get into it again soon. It sounds like. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited by the work you're doing. I'm excited that you have a retreat center. I, I want to come there someday. So look forward to that. For sure. For sure. More on that to come. Take care, my friend. You too. Take care.